0: Return to a time when anything is possible. (gasps) Relive your favorite moments with The Hollywood Insider. Travel with Loop and Larry and their special guest, writer-director David Weiner, to the nostalgic worlds of 1980s sci-fi movies in this galactic journey through space and time as we go In In Search
1: search of Tomorrow. tomorrow. That's the magic of sci-fi, man. In a world Filled with intergalactic space battles, meta
0: human destruction on a global scale, and psychopathic serial haunting. There's only one team who can make sense of it all. When your world is overrun with rampant pop
1: culture, call Luminary Guardians of Geek. <laughs> oh yeah 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 51 times 51 it was number 51. Almost like a restart i feel when you get to 51
2: yeah, exactly. it's like now
1: it's like now this is almost like the first exactly <laughs>
0: so we're starting again here we yeah. go it's probably better that we do than we can just erase what we've already done and yeah just that's true that is true it right, right the second
1: time <laughs> hey everybody i'm loop and I'm Larry, and this is Guardians of Geek, our fifty-first episode, and we've got a power-packed episode today once again.
0: This is a big, this is a big one. We've, I mean, we just came off of our big fiftieth celebration of hilarious House of Frightenstein, and now we're moving into some something equally as awesome. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we, we've decided that
1: 2022 is the year of awesome. <laughs> so it is we're already like we're, we're on fire this year already I know. This, this is like our, is our fourth I don't know or fifth su- podcast already this year i don't know
0: like, i don't know if we can sustain this i'm already exhausted but you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep it going
1: <laughs> uh, before we get into the we have an inter- a big interview coming up but before we get into that i just saw batman and yep. i know you did as well and we'll, we'll go into full detail on it but um generally what were you, what did you think about it
0: so i i'm i've been a dc fan for like since i was a kid my fifth birthday party had i had a batman cake so <laughs> i have been a batman fan from from the beginning and i've read a, a lot of the comics um and so i'm i'm all about batman now having said that i i i wasn't 100 percent sold on this movie before it came out because i was like okay it's it's another batman movie and it's the same penguin and and riddler and that sort of thing i was like oh, i, I kind of want to see something different like i want to see a different kind of batman movie so i wasn't 100 percent sure but then i went to see it and i loved this movie it's it's three hours long and i was like when it was done i was like that that's it we're that was three hours that was awesome <laughs> i really it's very very dark um and it's much darker than the other batman mm-hmm. movies that have come out um and i that's what i like about batman and that's those are the comics that i like the the detective comics this goes back to his detective roots and um and and i really i really liked it i thought um robert pattinson was great um he's super brooding but he doesn't do he doesn't do a lot of this because he doesn't have that ben affleck really deep thing but he's super brooding and just angry all the time and i i like i like angry batman (laughs)
1: <laughs> i guess that's what it comes down to give me an angry batman every time <laughs> and what do you think do i do you was think? i was i liked it i wasn't as blown away by it I, maybe i've got batman fatigue i don't know like i've seen there's been so many different batmans now um it looked cool uh i will say though it is dark a, a family with little kids actually walked out midway through the movie oh because really i think it was just getting too weird and too violent and oh. uh, i think they uh, i mean you hear batman it, People have different perceptions, like the comic readers like the dark Batman, but other people know the surface not quite as dark Batman. So, yeah. I mean, they should know that it's going to be there's going to be a certain level of violence in it. But anyway, the family walked out midway through. Um, I, I enjoyed it, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a tiny bit uninspired, um, a little bit long. And I i know this is just my opinion. I mean, I'm who am I? Um, but yeah, uh, and I just, there was a few things, there was a little too much whispering. <laughs> in it for me. A lot of people whispered in it, and I was like, Why are you whispering? Like, like, why is anybody whispering in this? But other than that, like I thought it was fine. It was fine. It was fine. Like it was okay. it was entertaining. Um, I did like the detective aspect, how he was he was solving a mystery and using that sort of detective side of him that we don't see as much because we a lot of times we see more of the gadget side of him yes. and the you know the utility belt side, but we don't see as yeah. much of the detective side, which is kind of a lot of Batman. And it, I thought that was great. Um, but there was some good performances in it and I thought it generally was pretty good. I just, there were some yeah. things I, I like, I wasn't a big fan of Catwoman, but that's just me. Well, right. Like, um, I, again, I, when I say uninspired that I would put her into that category, but, um, right. but it that's was, fair. it didn't bring anything new to the table, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, but it's still, I thought it was fine. It was a good setup if they're going to do more movies.
0: Yeah. See, I liked, um, I liked the whole detective thing. I think that to me that was the difference with this movie. Is that it was the movie, difference maker? Yeah, that was none of the other movies really had a, a mystery that that literally was that the, the Batman was trying to unravel. Like literally, there was an actual. So you, it was. So it was. It was to me this movie was a like a, a, a combination of um, the Dark Knight. Uh, uh, What's his Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight and um, Seven. Yeah, um, the, yeah the I would say that. It was literally like that. Like it felt a lot like Seven. It felt like, you know, detectives figuring out this crime and it's gritty, this gritty crime and it's violent. And um, there's a lot of like psychotic people and, and that sort of thing. It really did feel a lot like
1: Seven to me um so and that's i think what made it different uh but i just i like that uh, he worked with the police a lot more in this and trying to trying to help solve this case and but and of course he can go places they can't go and he can do things that they can't do and then and it kind of he is able to find clues that they can't find either right so it's i think that part was really good um again it was good like it was good i just didn't think it was as like great as every a lot of people are saying it is but that's just i'm saying it is (laughs) (laughs) But speaking, say, so, speaking of Brad Pitt, he was in two previews before the movie, different movies, so I, I right, kind of felt so. like he was in it as well. So <laughs> so it was. Fair Fair <laughs> um, the one thing
0: that we should mention real quick is, we, Luke and I were talking before this, just about how DC um, is running their, their ba- Batman sort of thing, and the fact that there have been multiple movies with multiple people playing Batman, um, and each movie is sort of a reboot of Batman so it's hard if you're not like a diehard Batman fan it's hard because Marvel has set up this universe so brilliantly where all the movies are connected every all the actors are playing the same character in each movie yeah. and they're you know I mean a the, the couple of people have changed but like and and so we're used to the Marvel the way that Marvel has created it and DC hasn't figured that out yet so seeing all these Batman like because it's been 10 years since the last Batman movie so it's you know it's been a long time but if it's not super brand new or a continuation it just feels like okay so they're rebooting it again like they're doing yeah yeah so it's that's the that's the problem as big of DC fan as I am and a big um uh Batman fan I really want to just see a Batman universe (laughs) you know what I mean like not just like two or three movies that are linked together and then that's it and they start again. I would like to see them develop a whole universe that just keeps going on with the same actor with the same character and they just introduce new characters, but it's all part of the same thing so that we get an ongoing story. And they just haven't been able to figure that out yet. However, they are spinning this movie off into two TV shows. Um, One is about the Penguin. Um, So uh, Colin Farrell, who plays the Penguin, is going to be reprising his role as the Penguin on the TV show um, for HBO Max, I think. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is about uh, the GCPD um, and Jeffrey Wright is going to be playing Commissioner Gordon again on that so they I'm, I'm hoping that maybe they are starting to create this universe so this Batman movie will spin off into two TV shows that are part of the same universe, and then there might be a sequel or something. Uh, So I'm hoping maybe they're starting to figure this out. (laughs) And this is just the start of it. So that's, I've got a lot of hope.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of universes, I think it's about time you, Larry, introduce our next guest. You know him as the former executive editor
0: of Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, and from the magnum opus of 80s horror movie documentaries in search of darkness and now you'll know him as writer director of the most immersive celebration of 80s sci-fi movies in search of tomorrow as well as the only member of the loop and larry four-timers club direct (laughs) from hollywood california the mecca of geekdom filmmaker extraordinaire david weiner Woo!
2: hey thanks for having me on wait this is the fourth time that i've been on yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. It's my only my third film. How did you find me the first time? I can't remember.
0: <laughs> I I have no. You were out there. We reached out. You came on. And, <laughs> and, so so really, this is important because one more. If you can if you can come up with one more documentary,
2: come back on. You get the. Then I qualify to come back, and I get a little. You get thimble, the, a little gimbol. You, get, That's you a get a jacket, a special 5 timers yeah, yeah, jacket. Five-timers yeah. jacket. <laughs> I was hoping for a snow globe, but I'll take it. <laughs> uh, we might
0: be able to make a concession or two. I don't know, but you got to create that dock first. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: David, how, how excited are you about this dock? Like it's finally out, and it's 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 an opus, and it's awesome.
2: In search of tomorrow has been a very long, long road uh, compared to the in search of darkness part one and two. Movies that I made, you know, uh, because uh, some pandemic inconvenience kind of happened in the middle of making this movie, and so everything got pushed back, and you know, the dynamics changed quite a bit. But that being said, I'm actually incredibly proud that we have been able to finish this movie. Uh, Creator VC is the company that makes it, and uh, yeah, you know, people are starting to see it now. I'm so happy that you guys got to see it. I wanted you guys to see it because I, you know. Not a lot of people have seen it yet. It's not out there, out there. We're, we're, we're selling it to the masses at 80 Um, But you're one of the, the select few who, who appreciates this stuff and would actually want to sit through a five-hour movie of mine. Well, so I can tell you, excuse me. Like you said, it is a five-hour
0: doc, a solid five hours. Um, however, I was able to manage a full five-hour sit. Um, and, and I'm telling you that because this, move, this, this documentary is so compelling. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and the way you've laid it out is um, like you did with the um, In Search of Darkness. So it's laid out by, by year, starting in 1980, mm-hmm. ending in 1989. So you get these um, like half hour blocks of, of, ye- of years. So potentially you could watch, you know, a, a year at a time and, and go through it that way. So I set the goal of, of getting up to 1984 because that's around the midway mark. But then I thought, and and what's also nice is that in between the years, you have these um, sort of breakaway segments that talk about special effects and talk about, you know, various aspects of creating the movie. So there's those little bridges between the years as well. So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, I'll get to 1984. No, no, I'll just watch the special effects. Uh, I might as well just slip in 1985. I've got some time. <laughs> ah, 1986 was a good year. I'll watch that. Because, like, you, you forget when you're watching this movie how much of your childhood is represented here um because there are so many movies that came out at the time and you've chosen like the 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 cream of the crop i mean not necessarily the cream of the crop but the ones that sort of made a big impact um and and you just part of the fun of this movie is anticipating the next movie that you're going to talk about um so you know you just finish with um you you know uh um well what's a what's a what's a good one um Blade Runner Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you know Road Warrior Road Warrior comes (laughs) up, Mad Max you're like oh my gosh I forgot about that one you know so there's just so much here even if you're not uh a big sci-fi fan it's just like remembering the the times that we lived in and you know the the names that you saw in the marquees every week when a new movie opened up and it's just you know even if you don't know you know that much about the individual movies it's just all of a sudden you're you're being transported back in time and I, that's it just you can't i couldn't stop watching <laughs> well, thanks thanks you know
2: well first of all it's all designed where everything is just not enough so you want a little more and then you're already on to the next either movie or <clears throat> chapter or whatever it may be. Yeah. So, um, but it is also, you know, con- conversely designed to you can get up at any time because yeah. <laughs> you arguably are not going to miss anything after, you know, three to five to seven minute, you know, segments. You could just press stop and come back when you want to after your you know, you're, you got to change your diaper or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's but In all seriousness, you, you make, a, I think, a very really interesting salient point, which is that this is not only about the movies, it's about the era and it's about the time that we all went to these movies and we got excited about these movies and we couldn't wait for these movies to come out and how we discovered these movies and what might've been going on in our lives beyond the movie theater, or or our, our our dens or basements watching this stuff on VHS, you know, there was a lot going on in the 80s. And and so when you see these movies, or you see the trailer, or you see people talking about them who either were part of the film or just fans themselves, what's really kind of it, what, what sort of dawns on you is that so much was going on in your own lives, you know, your own lives while these movies were playing out. And and you were either going to escape over and over and over and over to see these movies uh you might have been going through something in your life where this movie was like the salve that really made you happy it was you know it was your happy place and and this was a not you know people like to look back at the at the 80s and think oh rubik's cubes and mtv and it was all awesome and shoulder pads and flash dance sweatshirts, but, it, you know, I've got my leg warmers on right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> of course. Yeah. But there was the Cold War, you know, was, was, was very, very present in all of our minds. You know, the, the threat of nuclear Armageddon from the two superpowers not agreeing one day. That was always, you know, a step away from our own uh, points of view. And, you know, I, I used to, I used to when I would go to school, I and I'd start daydreaming, which didn't take long, I'd, I'd look out the window and I'd, I'd start playing out like the Red Dawn, you know, uh, playbook in my mind. I'm like, what would happen if all of a sudden, like, an enemy brigade just parachuted right out my window? This felt very real when you would have a lot of these movies like, you know, Rambo and Top Gun and all the sci fi stuff that we were doing, Mega Force, you know, oh, yeah. war games. This all kind of brought it right to our, our front step and how we, dealt with it was you know very different for everyone
1: yeah like the the sci-fi which I found really interesting and I I never thought of myself as much of a sci-fi fan and then I start watching this and it's like a buffet of sci-fi right like it's just everything (laughs) I'm not going to take everything the first time I watch it but I've got enough there to eat and it's it's so good like it's like there's so many every movie you put up I'm like I love that movie oh I love that movie and I love that movie and one of the things I I found when I was going through the course you know me I'm making a list as I'm watching it Trying to figure out, you know, what I'm going to buy next because I'm watching <laughs> this. That, that's the worst part of this whole thing because I'm like, oh, now I got this list of movies I need to own. Um, but I'm like, <laughs> how do I not own like Superman Two? As they, it was one of my favorite movies as a kid. How do I not own Star go, Trek Two? Go now and get it. I did. I went and bought them. I already was setting up my house. <laughs> like I, I went to Amazon like instantly after because I like I have to have these movies in my collection. But the thing I love about sci-fi is that it like what you bring into the into the whole picture is that it does reflect what's really going on and where we're heading and it's and it's so interesting like in some things i didn't notice at the time but this but your doc brings some of this out and you can and you're like oh yeah that does reflect something that's actually happening but so when you start when you went into this whole thing like how, how did you how did you like it's like a puzzle right like all like you got all your years and all your subject matter how did you how did you approach this
2: doc It's a it's a very overwhelming decade, you know, when we were talking about horror and I would do horror, even that is overwhelming because there's hundreds, Mm -hmm. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, you know, maybe 700 plus movies, give or take uh, about, you know, in one particular genre, you know, sci fi is is equally significant, maybe not as many as uh, the horror genre, because they were a little more expensive to produce, arguably, depending on the film. but I had to look at this and decide what, what was my definition of sci-fi, you know? What is anyone's definition of sci-fi? I think it's a little different from everyone and you can, you can get, you know, to the fine tune, you know, Star Wars fantasy or sci-fi, you know, the technicality of the definition of sci-fi. Or you can look at it as say, this is collectively part of a, a, a mindset that we were really into in terms of the escape and the imagination of genre film. So is, the, is Mad Max in the post-apocalyptic genre, does that fit in this story? You know, does, you know, Swamp Thing or does, you know, Reanimator or, or, you know, Frankenstein Science, does that fit? Well, yeah, it is sci-fi, but does War Games, you know, does Miracle Mile, you know, does that fit, you know, because that's kind of a contemporary reflection, isn't it? Well, there's kind of a what-if element to it with just... know if it's like james bond like is james bond sci-fi arguably yes when you look at all his gadgets you know Mm -hmm. um and those movies are are definite uh if not sci-fi reflections of the cold war era and 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 mindset so um i take this giant stew (laughs) of many 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 movies which to me was just a, a a happy thing because i was like i i don't have to be so narrow with my definition These these are all movies that we love for all different reasons. So many of these movies, uh, they straddle multiple genres. You know, you got Alien, you got Predator, you know, uh, you got Running Man, it's, you know, it's action, it's sci-fi, there's some horror in it depending on it. Horror may or may not be part of Running Man, it's up to you. But, um, (laughs) so what I have to do is I really, I kind of take all these movies that, like you said, it's like a big jigsaw puzzle, I outline, First of all, it helps structurally to have every single year. But then I go to all these larger context chapters and I say, what are, what are important to be able to tell this tale collectively of the decade while we see this evolution of movies that are also influenced by other movies and that's why they exist. You know? um, like, uh, like having a, a you know, cocoon, you know, breaking out cocoon, next thing you know, you've got batteries not included. You know one would not exist without the other which is really kind of interesting you know because it's addressing you know the uns you know old age which is not especially sexy in the 80s when everything's about youth and wall street and you know um that kind of stuff so very long answer short not really is um it's very very difficult to ultimately come up with a final list and a final cut of movies that i put in here Uh, there's so much more to be explored and discovered, and the journey will ideally continue if this film does well. Um, But, you know, it's just sort of a list of really huge blockbuster movies, some eclectic titles, some straight-to-video titles. But overall, I wanted to be able to sort of have a real broad spectrum of storytelling for a decade. Well, part part of what helped that i found is
0: this transition screen that you use uh to to go between your years it's literally like a wallpaper of a vhs box or, or movie posters oh my God, from yeah. all of the, these movies so of, of course of the you know hundreds that existed you can only focus on a handful really but when you see this transition screen and the camera flies into the the next film that you're gonna be talking about you see surrounding it the you know dozens of other titles that you had totally forgotten about, but then realized, oh my gosh, this, this genre was massive. Like it was,
2: there was so much out there. Um, Especially if you include a lot of the international titles, which I, you know, some of the posters are, you know, French and Belgian and, and Czech and, you know, all sorts of interesting stuff, Russian stories. It's, it's, everyone was, was, was impacted by uh, the, the opportunity to tell really big, big stories with sci-fi, especially in the 80s, especially in the wake. Of Star Wars uh, and uh, you know Close Encounters and that you know kind of opened the floodgates.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I feel like because of you know the the timing was perfect in the eighties for an explosion of sci-fi because like you said of the the world condition like the the you know the Cold War the conflicts between Russia and the United States it was really like prime prime time for um, escapism <laughs> yeah. and you know I mean what oh. better way to escape than to create a new
2: world? Like and, a, and, for a new world. And, and the best sci-fi usually is uh, a either obvious or not so obvious reflection of us. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's why I love that stuff because you could say, well, it's just, you know, Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. in, in, in reptilian alien makeup, you know, hate each other. You know, yeah. that's a story that anyone can relate to about, you know, having an enemy enemy mine. but um, the thing is, you know, maybe that could be connected to uh, countries not getting along and learning to get along, you know, uh, cultures learning to get along who aren't getting along. I mean, you could apply this stuff to, however you want to look at it, uh, however dialed in you are to this stuff or however you go in thinking one thing and then you're like, oh yeah, that's a lot more going on than I expected or thought would go on in any of these films um if anything the best of sci-fi allows us to have great discussions afterwards and and look at ourselves a little differently mm-hmm. yeah
1: that's the, the thing i found too like the thing that people forget about the 80s like it was a boom in a lot of things right like but the one of the things was like you were talking about the cold war earlier but also the emergence of computers in the 80s and like the like the the speed that technology was moving in the 80s was it was it was quite crazy, especially with like NASA and space travel and everything else. There was so much there to to go with, and I think a lot of the sci-fi movies jumped on those themes and like like war games and and took them to another level. Which and and I don't know if you like um what's the show that's on Netflix um Black Mirror, where it sort of it can show you a, a future either that's great or a future not so great. And I think Black to the Future is a good example of that, where you can go one way or the other. It can either be a perfect future or it can be like a future that's dark. And I noticed a lot of dystopian themes in a lot of those movies. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that's
2: the, the where people went with that? The dystopian elements? Well, yeah. then it was much, well, you know, Will Wheaton is is part of our cast. And, uh, He's great. He, he, he has this great, you're wearing your Escape from New York shirt, which is yes. by way of G.I. Joe, which is super yes, yeah. <laughs> um, Will Wheaton has this great line. He's just like, before we lived in a dystopian society, I enjoyed movies about dystopian societies. <laughs> and then he talks about, you know, we get into, uh, you know, Escape from New York and so on. Um, everything was, it's been with us for as long as we all can remember whenever there's i mean i don't want to get into too political you know theater and that kind of stuff but just in terms of like authoritarian regimes and 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 big brother and orwellian worlds you know Ayn rand whatever you want to whichever avenue you want to take it it's always been you know thx 1138 you know early george lucas all this stuff is like will we be controlled by a a a, a, an unseen authoritarian eye or government. A lot of that stuff where people saw that, you know, Fahrenheit you know, 451, they would see these stories and really connect with it because they would see in, say, look at, you know, the rise of Nazism and, and you know World War II and so on and so forth uh, leading up to that. That was the stuff where they're like, this could never happen to us. And then it did. And now we have to tell sci-fi stories to reflect that, saying one day it's going to happen again if we don't watch our backs. Yeah. Maybe some of these people are right because we're kind of on that track again. But that doesn't mean optimistically the pendulum can't swing back. It's all relevant to how all of us, if we unplug from our, our Zoom conversations for five minutes, might be able to you know, go out and proactively do stuff you know, uh, yeah. that that can help a cause or help others. So anyway, that's my... My kumbaya speech, but it's all relevant because these stories really are. There were a lot of them in the 80s because finally they had the tools, especially with special effects and ILM and visual effects, to really get broad and grand uh, with their canvas of, of storytelling. And so once others were able to do it, even at a low budget, like on a Roger Corman level, you know, anyone mm-hmm. could kind of get a, a story like this made because everyone wanted the next Star Wars. And so they're all shooting for the moon uh, at various levels of success.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I think you know going 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 the other way the sort of the I mean there's dystopian elements but the anti dystopian side of of sci-fi was the hope for the future like the exciting prospect of new technology and things that just seem so like distant. Um, for example. Uh, Iron or, um, uh, Running Man. You had already mentioned Running Man. There were there was tech in Running Man uh, that currently exists. There was like vo- voice controlled. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you walk into your home and you tell the your house to to open the blinds and things like that. There was there was deep fake in in, uh, in uh, Running Man. I mean, long before that was ever considered a real thing. But the idea that maybe someday we'll be able to do these things—like how cool would it be to walk into your house and just tell your house to make the coffee—and you know, so the, I think, you know, I mean, the, you know, Running Man has had definitely has had its share of dystopia, but there was also those moments of like, wow,
2: the future's cool. <laughs> well, what's so cool about that is, you know, you can kind of track the inspiration from the 80s and before, you know, with you know the original Star Trek you know, and, and the communicator, and then the first, you know, the first cellular phones after they, they got smaller than a brick, you know, yeah. the first yeah. thing that they did was they were flip phones because the, the guys who made those and the, the people who made those, they are just like, I want my Star Trek communicator now. Yeah. Um, and, but a lot of that, that technology, um, it all comes down to, you know, it's not sinister. Technology has no, it, it's, it's, it's indifferent to us. So, however, technology is used, whether it's for you know the benefit of mankind or the detriment of mankind, uh, that's all up to us. But it, it's existing and it's also inspired by a lot of these movies, even in the '80s. You know, you know, someone says, "Gosh, I would love that hoverboard in, in Back to the Future, too." You know, people are taking it away as we speak, you know, trying to make those hoverboards a reality, you know, and they might have some already, which are kind of like maybe larger than the, the kind you could fit in your backpack. Yep. But still, it's, it's, it's being made and all these movies kind of paved the way or pioneered the the ideas to people who are just smart and inventive and are making these things today. And who knows what the future has in store, you know absolutely i mean we're we're
0: really i mean we're at the point of having johnny cabs from uh from total recall you know i mean that's their self driving automobiles it's ha- it's happening we just have, have to get over
2: that that little hump of they all smash into you know in an intersection every now you and know. then and that might yes. be
0: <laughs> unfortunately they decided not to put the creepy driver exactly can rotate but it, it, but it
2: <laughs> is very true i mean did you i mean think about it i mean we have a computer in our pocket uh, we can walk into our homes and, and talk to you know, uh, you know, various AI companions and just ask them to do mundane things, which is magical compared to what we were living with in the 80s. That was sci-fi with a capital S and F, you know? but now it's, it's starting to become maybe not mundane, but it's a regular thing, as you guys have said, uh, that, if you just stop and wonder about that kind of stuff. You know, but I was like that, too, with like, you know, all right, now we're showing our age because we grew up right after the wheel was invented and just when we <laughs> invented fire. But, you know, I mean, I remember in the 70s, the the concept of the microwave, you know, and, and how you didn't have to sit and wait for things to bake or cook on top of the stove. You put it in a magic box, press the button, and a minute later, you had hot melted cheese, you know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> right we that's like so well yeah of course we have that but that was new at least in our generation you know even even you know answering machines you didn't have to be home or if you missed that call because you weren't home you know remember you'd have to sit by the phone the whole concept yep. of, <laughs> you don't want to miss an important call you got to sit by the phone well that that's a luxury we don't have to uh you know we have now that we don't have to do that
0: yeah, but again, it was like in also the 80s,
2: get off my lawn. By the way, <laughs> uh,
0: but in, but in the eighties, like like Luke was saying, the that tech was was so new and emerging that people were still blown away by all of that. I mean, we I feel like we're in an era now where tech moves so quickly that it's not as big a shock for us to yeah you know find the latest oh, um uh, operating system appearing or the latest you know tech toy that that comes out is not quite as you know aw- like awe inspiring as it used to be because it's happening so much more rapidly now like i don't I, I don't know that you could find another era like the 80s
2: to create these kinds of movies because you know we're just expect it now <laughs> I, I i was marvelling just the other day about my own son's toys and how envious i am of theirs like he's got he's got <laughs> Not only does he have a you know a a Millennium Falcon that you know is is just screen accurate, you lift it up, it makes the sound effects of the Millennium Falcon. It has That's a so cover cool where it has the uh, the hyperdrive either works or it doesn't, and it has the, <laughs> the movie. I would have killed for that kind of stuff, you know, or yeah. just even you know these like Neca scopes. You know, I love Migo, and I stood, I'm so glad Migo is back, and I collect Migos, but. You know, to have a a sculpt, you know, of of your favorite, you know, characters and creatures from all these movies that we loved, to be so screen accurate now because they're laser sculpt, you know, from a computer. Uh, Listen, we live in a golden age. That's all I can say. We might be going to hell in a (laughs) handbasket. We're we're enjoying the ride with our toys. (laughs) (laughs) I I want to go back
1: for a second to uh, um, Larry's uh, reference to all the vhs boxes like or the the covers i don't know if it's just me but every time you zoomed in i'd be like oh my god where's it going where's it going <laughs> <laughs> because like, the way you zoom in it's like it kind of looks like it might be going to back to the future but no yeah, it goes over a little, here there, there a, yeah, there's fake a, little, bit of a little bit of a fake out on it and i like i got like almost too excited. I got to say <laughs> of where this, like where you were going to land on these, uh, um, on these movies. But I want to thank you in this doc. I want to thank you for not only doing the back to the futures and the Terminators and the bigger movies, but also doing like the, like the mega forces and the Mac and me's and like some of the smaller movies, like where, 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 where was that line? Like, where did you say, like, you know, this needs to be what like this, even though it's a, a lower budget, Maybe the, the, no one knows what this is about. Like, how did you pick that movie?
2: Well, I, I think there's a lot of the, it, it's, it's very easy because there were so many great, big, massive movies that came out uh, to put them all in there. But guess they kind of, they kind of hog up all the space, you know, and there were so many straight to video, low budget films. I mean, there were so many films that I already did segments that I didn't even keep in the movie just due to running time. Um, You know, the running time could just go on forever, but at a certain point, you just have to stop. And also because we do Blu-rays and DVDs, there's only so much room on these, you know, discs, which which actually helps me edit myself because at a certain point, you know, I'm a completist. You know, I'd still be going, making all these, you know, doing these interviews and making these movies to put this film. Um, I think all of these movies, uh, even the ones that are imperfect, are are precious to us so mac and me is like a great example because uh mac and me there's a whole generation that's a video generation that probably saw that on the video shelf Mm -hmm. as little kids or their parents got it because they wanted to get et but it was rented so they got (laughs) all right this one looks kind of et-ish kind (laughs) of got the same poster you know um and the kid watched it and enjoyed it and never thought twice about it and then they grew up and they're like this didn't age very well, but, or, or they saw ET and then poor Mac was, you know, left on the side of the road, you know, kick, kick to the curb. Um, but these movies meant a lot to us. As I was saying a little bit earlier, these are more about what our lives were like when we saw these movies, just as much as the movie itself and a movie like Mac and me um, might be an easy target for uh, a lot of people, you know, to, as a, as a punchline. But there's a story behind it, you know. There are people who took time to craft and make that movie, and, and the reason why that movie came about, I think, is, is is a very interesting story, you know. Just with the whole McDonald's connection is, is more than just a coincidence. So that to me, you know, where you could balance, you know, uh, uh, the director of Mac and Me, Stuart Raffel, talking about his project, compared to D. Wallace talking about, you know, the emotional connection we all have uh, uh, and working on the set. You know of ET. I think that to me is an interesting so good. bookend of a certain type of movie in this decade that I think is important to see the uh, the highs and the lows or the, the the spectrum of the types of films that were being made that were all still essentially the same story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, you have a killer guest list in this. Not to give anything away, but they get like they they can go deep into some of these stories and some of these movies, and it's so enjoyable. And the fact that you have Jesse Ventura alone is like. I love Jesse Ventura as, as like he's just so well spoken and has so many just different ideas. Like, what was it like just interviewing even him?
2: Oh, he, he was a absolute, like, absolute thrill. I mean, can you believe it? He, it was also his first interview coming out of his, you know, his home, you know, at, during COVID, okay. you know. Um, so, a lot, of, a lot of these interviews, because we shot this one when the pandemic was, a, you know, at top density. Um, a lot of these people, they for, might have said no, because they didn't even want to go out and risk, the, you know, risk their, their health. Um, but there are some people, and we, we did everything safely. I just said that's the caveat there, is everything was socially distant and masked up and, and, and wipe downs and you know, either shot outside for airflow or you know, plenty of, of uh, airflow uh, circulation, whatever it may be. Uh, we, wanted to, we didn't want, want to put anyone at risk, whether it was the crew, whether it was the talent, um, but that being said, a lot of these people it was the first time they were coming out <laughs> after lockdown, and they were. I mean, I have to say real quick with Jesse Ventura, we had this wonderful interview, and we talked for uh, you know maybe ninety minutes or so. And then once that interview was done, we talked for another hour afterwards because he oh, just yeah. tell tales and and he enjoyed a, an appreciative audience and he's kind of like, yeah, I kind of got kind of got to go. Anyway, did I tell you about this? And then <laughs> another hour went by, which to me is just an absolute you know, gift. But what you guys get are uh, these amazing insights and stories that, uh, and recollections that sometimes they haven't told before uh, or they're thinking of it in a new way or as we recontextualize all this stuff. Not only are they talking about their own projects, but they're talking about the other stuff that they admire or their perceptions of the era, you know, uh, and, and how that mattered in in the whole context with their films as just part of the puzzle. So super cool, pinch me, you know? We got such an amazing cast of 70-plus of people, um, uh, people who were in front of the camera, people who were behind the camera, uh, experts uh, uh, ranging from, you know, film critics and hosts to... Uh, an astrophysicist, uh, a, a clinical psychologist, and a futurist to kind of balance out the conversation, um, super fun. That was part of what I really
0: enjoyed about this doc, was not only seeing these celebrities and the people who are in the films talking about their own project, like you said, but really they, the, their their discussions about other projects and just their recollections of other films creates this whole community of fandom <laughs> within the film itself you know so not only are you watching all of these celebrities who you grew up watching but you realize that they were fans just like you you know you you know they were going to the theater and they were getting excited about going to see um megaforce or whatever it is there you know and that it just you just realize that you're part of this much much bigger community that really was involved in you know discovering these films and and enjoying these new worlds and, and you know, reveling in the tech that they were, you know, that they were showing us that didn't exist. And it wasn't just, you know, the lowly, you know, street people like us <laughs> who were going to their video store to rent a movie. It was these, everybody.
2: <laughs> these folks are, are, are film fans and human beings, and they're just as Uh, as excitable and and equally mystified at life around them and uh, what's very cool about making these movies that I think is special as making it something that I would want to watch is having what is different is what you said you know they don't only talk about their projects they're there to, to spearhead that but I really am very interested in all the other perceptions of pop culture and world events and their favorite movies and their favorite Filmmakers and actors, and it becomes this big, wonderful conversation where you, you know, you get to just sit and and, and chat at, at the back table at a restaurant for as long as they will let you. You know, five hours. I think it's time. Who's going to pick up the check? You know, it's that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, but that I think is very interesting, and, and that's why I love. You know, I, I'm so happy that, uh, for example, you know, Alex Winter came back. He, you know, I interviewed him for uh, In Search of uh, Darkness. And he was in part one and part two and he came back for this and we sat in my backyard and he talked for three hours about all his favorite movies and all the things that he loved. And oh, so good. at a certain point, I'm like, we should probably talk about Bill and Ted before it gets. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that, I mean, that's the thing is that a fan is a fan, you know, even if you've worked on a project you could be uh, like, a, a, like a, a super fan of something completely unrelated. And when you start talking about that, you forget about everything else. <laughs> you know, I mean, and so I could I could totally relate to Alex Winter forgetting to talk about his own project, because there was so much out there that was, you know, not, not necessarily cooler or more exciting, because a lot of, you know, people love the, the, the Bill and Ted's. But just you know you you get you got you got your passions and you want to talk (laughs) and it's so easy to also also
2: what a crime is if you have a five-hour movie and you have to wait until 1989 to see you know alex winter right yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) exactly exactly and that and that is part of the part of the excitement of it is that you do see these people right from 1980 to 1989 like they're all the way through it and that's that's so cool
1: So one question I had was uh, like, I, I was going to Google this, but I didn't. But what is a futurist and how did you find one? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what I was like. I saw his name. It was it was it um,
2: Grace Scott? Grace is Scott. That,
1: yeah. And I was like, what a futurist. What is that? And I was going to Google it. And I was like,
2: I'm going to wait for you to come on. I, I looked into you. my crystal ball and he appeared. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, He. he's he's like, a you know, a, a, a preeminent uh futurist, you know, a, a speaker at, at NASA events and think about the many fields of, of study that you just don't think about, you know, right. uh, and, and, and the, the more analytical spectrum of people who are looking at the world around us, you know, from the sociological point of view of how do we live our daily lives and looking to the future and how does our behavior now impact our future and the future of the planet? Uh, and he's he's an analytical thinker about that kind of stuff, and he has just you know reams of knowledge and 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 thought uh, established thought processes about all this kind of stuff. And so cool. He's a and he's a big movie fan. So you just like take all this cool stuff. You know, I mean, like he, he could talk for blade about Blade Runner for ten hours. But, <laughs> you know, every everything about you know replicants and the whole everything that's involved. You know, spinners, whatever, whatever, whatever. whatever I can't say it anymore i cannot speak what have you um it's it's really interesting to take a lot of these movies and the themes of the films you know we talked about the technology we talked about uh you know the sort of dystopian elements uh but apply them in a practical way of thinking to ourselves uh and where we're going and where we're headed uh that to me was was valuable and very interesting. And I think hopefully adds a, a layer of nuance to this film to, you know, engender discussion. Yeah, that's one thing about
1: this film that I loved that that you put together is that I am I watch these clips that I've seen a million times. I've seen these, a lot of these movies a lot, but now I want to rewatch them with a critical eye because after the interviews you've done, they it's brought things up that I'm like, I've never thought of this movie that way. Because of course, when you're young, if, if you haven't seen it since the 80s, you watched it on a, on a, on a probably action level or, or something else. But now with with this film that you've done, I'm, I'm like, I'm excited to go back and rewatch a lot of these movies and look at them from a different perspective. Like it, it's such, it's such a cool, it's such a cool thing that you've done with this. And it, it, it makes me excited about the entire sci-fi like genre again. Cause I'm like, now I'm going back and rewatching Superman or Superman two or whatever it is. Um, I'm starting with Superman, by the way, I'm just mentioning that right now. (laughs) I watched Superman the other day, I hadn't watched it in years, but because of your movie, I'm now back into these sci-fi
2: movies again. It's so cool. Superman 3 is also, by the way, you know, all these movies, whether they age well or not, um, I think was super cool because it's so many, literally decades later now. You can look at these with, with a, 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 not a cynical, but a critical and analytical eye, just in terms of what was the, what was the intent of making this film? Was it right. simply to entertain or was it to tell a deeper story or both? You know, um, what, what zeitgeist does it kind of capture? You know, Superman three, you know, Richard Pryor is like a computer hacker genius. You know, you're talking about like the advent of uh, computers in our own home during that time. That was, that was a massive spike uh, that changed in the course of a decade where you know all of a sudden we're just you know practically moments later we're all talking to each other on the internet and chat boards right. so it's kind of interesting to look at these from from whether or not you liked Superman 3 there's so many elements there that are pure sci-fi pure 80s pure um, elements that I never realized because I was a little older. I mean, I was a Superman. I saw Superman 1 and 2 in the theater. When Superman 3 came along, I I personally, while I really enjoy Superman 3 and 4, simply because I'm happy to see anything with Christopher Reeve as Superman. I'll take that any day. Um, By the time 3 came along, Superman 1 and 2 were more serious. And then I was like, I don't want comedy Superman. Eh, You know, the poster is too goofy. I'm not into it. So I didn't look at it the same way that a whole other generation that was younger than me got their Superman movie. Next thing I know, they're watching this Kinder Trauma moment of this woman transforming into a cyborg, and and they are all freaking out because it's, it's, it's this dramatic moment. I didn't know that was a dramatic moment until I saw so many people sharing that that concept online. I don't know if you knew about that. Yeah. No. <laughs> in the, in the no. Dog. That did,
0: I did, you actually say, you know, kinder trauma moment <laughs> and it, it, it
2: occurred to me, yeah, that's a big deal. <laughs> I, made a, I made a big deal out of pointing out that moment because I became aware while I was doing my research that this is this, this pivotal moment in a lot of kids' lives where they saw this thinking, oh, fun, Superman, yay, superheroes in a cape. And then they were like absolutely scarred from this moment. You know, Um, and to take the conversation in another direction ever so briefly, you know, there are a lot of films that are kiddie films that have really frightening moments that really, really, really make these, they they, they sear these indelible, scary moments in our lives. Like I remember seeing Pinocchio and, oh, Pinocchio, it's so cute. I gotta tell you, I was, I I practically crapped my pants when they all turned into donkeys. On, yeah. on paradise island it was a pleasure island paradise island, island I think, yeah. but um you know I, I i that came out of left field the next thing you know there's this monstrous monstro giant killer whale that swallows them up and is going to kill them it's just like that went from whimsical to deadly real fast yeah turns on turns on a dime and i remember being to this day i think about that in my mindset and how scared i was because i remember i watched that And in the theater, because I watched like a revival review, you know, a screening of it, I remember thinking to myself, "I'm afraid that I'm going to turn into a donkey now." Uh, Oh no! I was 28 when I saw that.
0: I can I can give you my my moment like that because I have one too. Um, And it and it I had forgotten about it for a while, but because of this doc, it flooded back, and now I'm you know back in therapy. But uh, (laughs) um, in Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon is one of my one of my favorites of the of the genre. I I just love it. It's so quirky and s- strange and funny and weird and beautiful to look at. But the one moment, and now I just I just had a brain. I can't remember the name of the character. Um, he was the one all in black. He was the Flightus. Um,
2: yes, I know exactly where you're going with
0: this. When they throw him onto the platform with the right? spikes, and he lands, and his eyeballs and tongue. Bulge out of his head. That literally, I could not get over that for for weeks and weeks and weeks. And literally now, you know, forty years later, it's still in my head. So I rewatched. I rewatched uh, Flash Gordon after watching your doc because I hadn't watched it in, in a couple of years, and I had pictured in my head the way that moment played out. And it, in my head, it played out the way a um, a Play-Doh one of those Play-Doh machines where (laughs) that's what I saw in my head. And so when I rewatched it and it's literally like his eyeballs bulge out, uh, like maybe, a, a two inches and his tongue sort of grows a little bit. That was not at all what I had in my Not head, as but... extreme
2: as you remember. But no. I, I but remember it was... remembering it as being extreme. Yeah,
0: right. but it was such a traumatic moment for me as a kid. Over the years, I built it into this grotesque, horrible
2: scenario. And... Or that scene where they all have to put it in arborea, where they yes. have the rite of passage, where they have to put their hand in in that that killer Tree trunk. Woodstone formation thing where there's a killer <laughs> creature in there that was going to get you. Yeah. I mean, that was really, really intense. I, I was, we were so. Uh, it was such a treat to have Flash Gordon himself, Sam J. Jones, Melody Anderson, you know, Dale Arden, even Deep Roy, you yeah. know, uh, who who has been in more of these films than anyone realizes. You know, um, based on, on his diminutive size, you know, everything from. Uh, you know Flash Gordon to you know being in the Star Wars movies and so on and so forth Um, it's just super cool to get their perspective on all this stuff and you know they're used to years and years of people saying Flash Gordon's dopey and so they're they're not not to defend it but to say to to explain it you know Um, and it's very cool to be able to have oh absolutely like revisiting that was
0: a big moment for me just because you know you, you you like like matt said you got a diff you've got a different perspective on this whole thing now you know you go back and rewatch these things as adults and it's a it's a, an entirely different experience like the nostalgia memorial mm-hmm.
2: And Melody Anderson these days is, is a therapist. And so oh. I really enjoyed sitting with her because I got a free free session. Yeah. <laughs> <Not> perfect. <laughs> now, how ironic would it have been for somebody like
0: me who was traumatized by the movie she was in to now go to her to talk about the trauma that she caused.
2: I've, <laughs> I've, scheduled, I've scheduled an interview for my therapeutic uh, uh, release. You know, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of have to <laughs> there
0: are a lot of moments like that in these in these films <laughs> and that's and you just you don't realize until you go back and revisit them like the the they they hit you in a, an entirely different way now you realize I should not have been watching that when I was <laughs> when I was I recently rewatched life force um because <laughs> The one that well, i we shouldn't have been
2: watching that as a kid no but
0: i did i i was 14 i think when it came out oh well remember, that's the
2: ideal age it was been.
0: and i remember yeah. watching it and then i watched it uh, like a week or two ago and i thought i would never have let my 14 year old son go to the movie theater to watch
2: this thing it is so like Well, that or the birds and the bees which one are you gonna do well i guess, I guess that would have been an easier way to do it but next time you watch life force uh, take a look at matilda may's eyes uh when they do a close-up on her eyes she has these contact lenses that has has a spiral for the hypnotized oh
0: kind of
2: is thing. that right oh cool yeah when it yeah, gets real cool. close to her eyes like when she's on the table sort of yeah. hypnotizing that guy before she sucks his life force out <laughs> yes. it, 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 there's a close-up of her whenever there's a close-up on her when she's about to do her do her damage it's 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 kind of a cool little uh uh, uh trick that they did to yeah. subconsciously add a layer of uh hypnosis it's cool and,
0: and i i have to say that, uh, to me that movie still holds up it's still pretty exciting the special effects obviously are you know very 80s inspired but it's still it's still you know and,
2: the and Pat, patrick stewart's first on-screen male male kiss you know it's, yes that was i totally had forgotten about that <laughs> I, I mean it, i guess at the time i didn't it just happened
0: i was a kid i didn't you know wasn't even thinking about it there we go but now it's you know it's a different it's a different experience yeah. yeah there's a
2: whole there's more baggage to that scene right yes. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah that was pretty
0: exciting
2: yeah my parents let me watch the thing
1: like when it was like i think it might have been like when it came out like 83 like the year after like on vhs and i couldn't sleep for like weeks after because <laughs> yeah. i was just i was like i would have been young when that came out like would that come out 82 the yeah. thing yeah yeah it came yeah. out in
2: '82. Yeah. Yeah,
1: So this has been probably 83 on VHS and I was like traumatized from it. I love it. It's my favorite movie. Like one of my favorite movies, but at the time I was like, just like all the images of the dogs coming out and like, whatever, like, Oh my God, I was like, I couldn't sleep forever. <laughs> some of the greatest
2: <laughs> practical effects of the, of the era from, you know, courtesy of Rob Bottin and- So good. Um, and, and some bonus uh, work by Stan Winston, which a lot of people might not know, which was super yeah. cool. And very, <laughs> very fun to have uh, Matt Winston in In Search of Tomorrow uh, to talk about the work of his dad and, the wor- you know, the work on Predator and the work on The Thing and, you know, a variety of other really, really well-known and iconic uh you know movie creatures especially in aliens and the queen alien it's like there's so much amazing craftsmanship that went into these films as well and they were not cgi no
0: no this goes back this goes back to your point of trying to find the delineation between horror and sci-fi you know i mean trying to come up with what what classifies a movie as sci-fi you know i mean flash gordon is 100 sci-fi in my opinion however it had this really horrific horror moment for me (laughs) that now turns it into a horror movie and the same with the thing the thing is very sci-fi ish i mean it's alien it's you know but it's definitely a horror movie i mean there's there's a lot of crossover you know i just like we were talking about before, it's, it would have been so hard for you to decide what's what. <laughs> you know, what's like, also
2: interesting is like a lot of people who, who know the names of some of these that were dropping, like, you know, Stan Winston or Rick Baker or Tom Savini or Rob Botine you know, most people say Rob Bottin, the thing, like, and that, that rocked their world. Uh, a lot of people, you know, unless you really know this stuff, and I know a lot of you do, but they might not know that Rob Bottin designed and, and sculpted and crafted the, the RoboCop suit that's sitting right next to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and that, yeah. The, and there were major battles in, in, involved in terms of making that uh, uh, functional for the film with Paul Verhoeven. So like to have, unfortunately Rob, Rob Bottin, he, he's, he's like the JD Salinger of, of practical effects. He just has hidden, you know, and, and does not want to come out, but um I mean, I got a cavalcade of of folks. Uh, William Sandell is the production designer who's good friends with Rob Bottin. You know, he talks about uh, working on uh, RoboCop, but we also got Peter Weller, you know, we got Nancy Allen, you know, Kurtwood Smith, um, Paul Verhoeven, the director. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just, it was like a kismet perfect storm to be able to have these guys talk about making that film.
0: It's amazing. And what's nice now. Cox
2: also. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, what's nice now is that we're living in an era where film restoration is a big deal. So we're starting to now see all of these movies that we're talking about being re-released in 4K. You know, I mean, so you know, not only are we getting to revisit these movies, but we're getting to see them in a like Inequality that we've never seen them before, We're or getting to see
2: wrinkles we never saw before, we also getting to see bald cap yeah. lines we never saw before. Yes, <laughs> but, yeah,
0: exactly. Which is good and bad because you know it's great to see a pristine copy of of RoboCop. I've, I've i pre ordered the the four K RoboCop because I I really want to see all the the fine details. However. Because everything was such was done practically in the 80s, you are now seeing the wires holding people and the bald caps, and you know, so it demystifies a little bit of the <laughs> of the movie. I
2: always was confused from the get go um, when I saw first saw Blade Runner, and I saw the um, the spinner taking off, and yeah. there's clearly cables lifting it up, but there's enough distraction in the shot to make you say, wait, is that intentional or what is that? And then you're on to the next shot and you don't really think about it again. But I always used to think to myself, it's like, they're so clearly there, yet they didn't, you know, they didn't like the exorcist. They literally went frame by frame to erase the wires that are holding, you know, the, the levitating Linda Blair in the exorcist they did not do that for uh you know Ridley Scott's vision in 1982 which i think is very interesting meaning they just didn't want to spend the money to do it and if you look at later versions they finally got rid of it but i think that's very interesting just there about what you know we assume that the movie that we're watching is what everyone's vision should be and the final cut of what everyone really wants including the studio and oftentimes much like uh, Joe Dante in the movie talks about, uh, the movie isn't even finished and the studio just wants to dump it because of political reasons or financial reasons, you know, like with Explorers, for example. Uh, it's, it's very interesting how uh, elements of the business, I, I, I don't put too much of it, but just enough there to give a little context of, you know, why certain things were a certain way.
0: So I think we asked you this question when we were talking to you about uh, In Search of Darkness. Who was... The person who you were most uh, excited to talk to of all the 70 plus who was You the always one make
2: who- me pick. I have to pick, <laughs> yeah, pick, your, you know, pick your favorite. Sophie's <laughs> choice of 71 people. But um, <laughs> um, I, before Star Wars came along, I was a Star Trek nut through and through. And I still am a Star Trek nut through and through. But once Star Wars came along, it was kind of like it took that thunder away a little bit. You know it's like that meme you know of the the boy the the, the boyfriend and the girlfriend walking and yes yes it comes by, you know it's like star trek you know and then oh star wars just walked yep. and, you know and and planet of the apes is pissed right next to me but um, <laughs> but um i would have to say having walter koenig sitting in my backyard it's so cool uh, um, I, I keep on saying backyard. Uh, at a certain point, I was filming a, a, a large portion of this film in my backyard uh, due to the pandemic, and I wanted a controlled environment where we could shoot outside, but it could be in a place that I can stay as long as I wanted, and, uh, and you know, limited noise, you know, in, in interruptions and so on and so forth. Right. Um, although I had to pay off a lot of gardeners and their leaf blowers. but uh, <laughs> It was super... Um, it was an out-of-body experience to have Chekhov show up and hang out and tell stories about the original series, the movies, you know, the, 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 the first space shuttle, which was named Enterprise, and how we yes. felt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that is absolutely priceless to me. And to be able to have him there was super cool. And, and I see, I can't pick favorites. I mean, I had Adam Nimoy, the son of Leonard Nimoy, in my backyard talking about his dad. You know i mean that's so cool amazing awesome uh but i still can't pick favorites because i i got to sit down with one of my all-time favorite directors one of my all-time favorite films and that's nicholas meyer who directed wrote and directed star trek wrath of khan you know and i was a huge fan of time after time that's where when he first got on my radar in 1979 you know with malcolm mm-hmm. mcdowell uh you know and um uh about uh, david warner you know as hg wells and jack the ripper it's just uh as 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 you guys would feel i felt the same way as as sci-fi geeks who just love these and these movies mean so much to us other than a distraction for an afternoon or an evening um getting to talk with these folks and 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 getting these stories but also just to realize that they're just you know human beings like everyone else and super friendly and casual i mean sitting sitting with you know bruce Boxleitner again in my backyard (laughs) the shit and making conversations he's like you know throwing in things like oh yeah i was working on the show uh yeah it was scarecrow and mrs smith and we were doing this and i'm like oh i get a scarecrow and mrs smith story today too that's (laughs) fun
0: you need to get you need to get get a plaque made and stick (laughs) in your backyard that says on this spot in 2001 sat (laughs) list 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 because it's literally i mean to have that group of people sitting in one in one location that's a pretty historic location right now <laughs> it's pretty
2: it, i i cannot complain it was pretty cool
1: yeah i had larry in my backyard not as exciting as i thought <laughs> no. it was
2: going to be it was didn't didn't, it
1: didn't land like i thought it would but you just have to
2: you just have to renew that restraining order yeah, exactly true, that is true. <laughs> he does well, before
1: worry. before we get into like how, um, how people can get involved with and get this doc in their hands um, tell me about your premiere, because you said a premiere a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And that's exciting, because this would be like after being in the pandemic for two years and not seeing people and having people's instant reaction to, to one of your docs, like right there. Uh, how was that? How was that? Was that pretty cool?
2: It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, you know, everyone, uh, we're in Los Angeles. It was literally the Hollywood premiere. It was just at this wonderful uh, private theater called the Harmony Gold, Gold Theater, which is this amazing theater. Everyone... You know, they, they checked our vaccination status to get in. Everyone wore their masks inside. We did a Q&A because it's a five-hour movie. We did two and a half hours, then took a, an intermission break, did a Q&A, and then did the rest. Uh, and the Q&A was uh, myself, executive producer Robin Block, uh, uh, film critic, uh, NPR film critic Tim Cogshell. And uh, Lance Guest of *The Last Starfighter*, okay. and it was moderated by Angelique Rocher, who is a is sci-fi uh, host and, and other things, and she's in the film as well. Yeah, so it was very, very, very cool. But you know, this is a film that is designed. It's crowdfunded by a small company, and we manufacture it and distribute it ourselves directly to all the backers uh, who who support the creation of this film. So it's not designed for theatrical, uh, uh, you know, to be distributed. But it's so nice to be able to see it on the big screen because working on it in a vacuum, you know, I'm like, well, this might be funny, this might be entertaining, this might have an emotional response, but then you finally get to sit with everybody and really hear the oohs and the ahs and, you know, when we're going along the wall of posters and they don't get to the movie that they wanted every now and then you're like, oh. But then you know we come around to it at another point, and they're like, "Yay! That's awesome!"
1: And And that's that's exactly
0: exactly how you feel. I mean, it really is. That's exactly how I felt as I was watching this because you you cut the segments to the perfect length so that you're by the time you get to the transition screen, you're just so excited. You're not, you know, you're waiting for next, next next. yeah, yeah, it's very exciting.
2: And <laughs> just yeah, just some of the some of the lines, you know, uh, uh, some of the stuff that's in there that I thought might be funny, you know, might have gotten a laugh or crickets. But there were some other things unexpectedly that I thought, well, that's amusing, but it got big laughs. And oh, that's uh, cool. just i think i think the overall tone of this people are really connecting to and that's just that this is an entertaining celebration of a decade and we're not here to really do this hardcore dissection where it's uh, uh you know spreading a lot of sort of negativity and cynicism about it you know even if a film is 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 well known as not being very good uh, it still gets the respect it deserves and, and the, the um, investigation or discussion it, it deserves. And everything else around it is just it's just so fun, especially to see, you know, um, Barry Boswick talking about Megaforce, you know, that, yeah. that, that got some that's, serious laughs.
1: That's the thing about, I find with with fandom, and we go to a lot of comic cons and that, there's, there's not one movie that doesn't have fans like that or has or someone's connected emotionally to it in some way shape or form it like it every film means something to somebody and that's why these little films like a megaforce is like so important like because I, I remember that movie and it was a movie that had impact on me because it looked it actually looked pretty cool at the time when i was a kid like like it was very colorful very comic looking and it, it was very it was awesome
2: and, and advertised was awesome. in every single comic book we read uh all yeah that's albums. right
1: inside that's right yeah
2: and Buckaroo yeah, Banzai exactly. too. That
1: was another one that I was like, I used to love, you know, it was, and it's represented in your movie as well. And it's so, it's so cool. But how do people get this in their hands? Because, you know, I've got the, uh, like, you got to oh, have these yeah. in your hands. You got to have these, <laughs> you got to have them in your collection. Because if you have any love of sci-fi 80s,
2: this, this is a must.
1: And, it's, and you've got to have, so how do people get it?
2: uh just now between now and march 27th which is the cutoff you have between now and march 27th uh to go to 80 sci doc.com and that's how you can get your physical copy of this there's no other way to get it other than from us where you can get a blu-ray or a dvd comes with you know all sorts of cool things you know um you know slipcover three exclusive posters digital download stickers all sorts of fun stuff if you go to 80 sci doc.com or our socials at 80s sci-fi doc on f- Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can find out all that information, but if you get it between now and this deadline at March 27th, you also get to have your name in the credits, which is super duper cool. Which is and
1: very cool. <laughs> after
2: that, No one can ever say that they could ever do that. And so, but um, yeah, yeah, you know, a, a lot of people really value having physical media in their hands. I think this generation, Looking looking behind you, Larry, I think maybe you might be into physical media a little bit. I, you know? I don't think I'll ever give up the physical media. I know, Not I mean, I do,
0: I do subscribe to the streamers, but there's just something about, and and now with the advent of Steelbook, I, I just, you know, I can't, I can't. they got know. you, they've got, yeah, you. They've got but you. But the thing and is- I, and I, and I have to tell you, um, you're uh, going back to um, In Search of Darkness, when you offered the uh, bonus slipcase to house all three versions, I was like, this is a collector's dream to have yep. a slipcase to hold the three. <laughs> it's just one of those things that just brought me a lot of joy. I've
2: been working, I had to work. Had to, I'm now making a third film so I could have a slipcase to hold three movies. Yes. But, but yeah, a lot, you know what I what I never quite anticipated, you know, when I made In Search of Darkness, I hoped that people would like it, of course, or enjoy it or want to share it or talk about it. But what I never really expected because it's a that, those are four and a half hour films, and then this is a five hour film in search of tomorrow, the the repetition of people wanting to go back for more and more and more, or watch it over and over and over again. I guess there's, it's so dense with information and material and moments, um, you know, that uh, people find themselves going, Back to these over and over and over again, which I, which obviously makes me very, very happy. Yeah. But I think a lot of people use these as, uh, like you've said, you know, like lists. Uh, you know, what, what, what can I watch? What have I missed? You know, uh, e- even if it's not covered as a movie segment, there's allusions and references and and visual moments with many 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 hundreds if not thousands of films. Um yeah. and I'll give you I'll give you a, a super secret tip which may or may not be ridiculously obvious. But I've had people say, "Oh, I have to pause it so I could, you know, look at the posters and see what else to see." Well, if you just watch the end credits, it lists <laughs> every single poster in yeah. chronological order and that might be helpful too. But every single film clip that's in this movie, it's all credited. And so that's also another way you kind of build your own list of what you might yeah. want to see. I think though
1: the problem is, is as, as a product of the 80s, we, and a product of video stores, I know it by the cover sometimes, I don't know the name of the film. Cause no, I, know, I know the visual of that cover because they did cool covers back then to get you hooked in to see the movie, like a Mac and me (laughs) that I would would rent it, but I wouldn't know the name of the movie. So that's why those, those covers are so cool because I, will go, I remember that cover. I totally seen that. And I, I like to rewatch
2: it. So, and that's a whole other avenue that I, that we touch on, which I think is super cool that our generation really connects to, and that's the video store experience, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, know as will wheaton likes to say you know the high stakes friday night you know battle to get all the titles you wanted you know for the weekend and stack them up in your arms and um part of the process for us was not you know streaming and going through a bunch of you know swiping through titles like tinder you know on on, (laughs) you know you literally were you know discovering new things and you know you knew what you wanted or you didn't you just wanted to go pick something for your, for your weekend or for your Friday night. And um, that's how so many of us discovered so many of these other films, is you bypass it over and over and over, but that box art, would that would stop you in your tracks. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, it's, you know, does it have all the ingredients of what I'm looking for? You know, uh, sex, violence, uh, adventure, imagination, you know, space. know apocalyptic wasteland you know uh, you know Mad Max and Mad Max Thunderdome are are always out but I see this battle truck I see that (laughs) steel. I see that steel dawn maybe it's finally time to give those a go Patrick Swayze is in this one he never disappoints maybe he'll dance absolutely that was that was part of our our experience back then which sadly now is not part of our experience anymore so there's like one added level of nostalgia for something that we may or may not just completely have mundanely taken for granted back in the 80s.
0: If they could somehow Create a candle that embodied the smell of a video store. (laughs) They all all smelled the same because it was all that, like the paper, the cardboard, and the glue. Just not
2: the section where you had to go through the beads. Yeah, no,
0: no, 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 no. The the
2: squeaky, the squeaky saloon doors. Doors. Yeah, that's right.
0: (laughs) They all had that smell. It was all. It was quite an experience. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) So, what's next for you? Because you've done. I know. I don't want to put too much on your back already. More, more stuff. But I know you're finishing up the third um horror doc. But are you are you planning to do more after that? Am I going to see like a search for adventure
2: series? Or what am I seeing here? (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, yeah. We we have at Creator VC, uh Robin Block and our team, um, we have we have lofty goals and uh we love all this kind of stuff. We're film geeks ourselves and you know when you think about it if you are a film geek it's you know you may have a preference for one particular genre but you love all genres right you know some more than others but even those hybrids are like the best thing because you get a little taste of everything so um yeah next up for me i i am going to we're in production now but i need to make in search of darkness part three uh and you can look for that around october um that being said we're working on In Search of Legends, which is 80s fantasy. You know, and if you oh. think about fantasy, and this is this is the very beginning stages of this. So we're that's my more. genre. I love the fantasy. But, you mom. know, everything from Conan the Barbarian to Neverending never-ending story oh. to dark crystal to whatever, what, whatever, you know, is is fantasy to you. Um, yep. There's, there's so much in that particular genre. So that's one thing we're working on. And, you know, we're aiming to take In Search of Darkness now that we've done three that take place in the eighties, we're gonna move to the nineties and we're gonna move to seventies. Not sure what's gonna be first out of the gate, but there's these wonderful decades with all this wonderful filmmaking that has filmmaking that has a different vibe to the whole, the whole decade in terms of the filmmaking. Uh, and so, uh, there's that, and uh, there's another documentary about FPS, first-person shooters, video oh, games. Cool. That's oh, that's cool! Movie yeah. Movie. yeah, and we've been developing, uh, like, an, in search of pixels. You know, a, just a larger scale, this story of video games. And oh, so, this is awesome. Just, that's just, you know, those are some of the things that we have in the works in various stages. So well, we're going to have we're... to be patient because we can't do it all. <laughs> <laughs> are,
1: are you going to do a show? I have one called In Search of Sleep. Yeah. Gonna... <laughs> in Search of Rest. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, we will.
0: Uh, we will definitely have to get your uh, your your five timer jacket ready because I mean we, we're going to need to talk about all of this.
1: <laughs>
0: because Loop and I are are fans of it
1: all. I mean, the, yeah, the, it's it's so the, good. You did, you did such an amazing job on this. It's like it's incredible, and people need to have it in their collection. And if they don't, I'm going to come looking for them.
2: Well, I really appreciate you guys. A, you always have this incredible, you know, just genuine childlike enthusiasm maybe not sophomore maybe not <laughs> we are uh, childlike interior. that's for sure <laughs> childlike i think is the is the yeah. light word to use but yeah no it's like you guys you guys are so enthusiastic about all this stuff our i, I keep on going to our generation so first of all again get off my lawn but yeah. <laughs> there, there's this great book uh forgive me to the author because i forget his name but it, it's it's a book about uh this concept called rejuvenile Um, And it's about, uh, uh, it basically discusses kind of our generation where we grew up with with parents who had to kind of put their childhood behind them, because that's what society told them to be, they had to be mature and adults, and you can't have toys, and you know, even though they might have wanted them or coveted them. Um, My dad collected Lionel trains that he couldn't have as a a kid, and to the point where he went to train conventions. Uh, But that was late compensation in his life. Um, We're a generation that we're finally kind of allowed to do both. You know, it's not immature to have a bunch of toys with you. You know, if you are a mature individual with your life and you can balance your checkbook and pay your bills and be a responsible participant in society, doesn't mean that you can't have, you know, all your toys on your desk, you know? (laughs) Because it it reminds us all of just these happy moments and and why why, why bury your happy childhood or happy childhood memories of toys and movies and music and collectibles? I, I think we live in this wonderful time where we could we could uh it's it's encouraged and validated to totally wear your Escape from New York G.I. Joe shirt, you know, or your yep. Star Wars, you know, pullover or whatever it may be, <laughs> or your or your Nostromo shirt. Oh, you know? oh yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. So um, you know, we we get to we get to fly our geek flags and not get beaten up behind the, the gym at school anymore. Yeah. Which is <laughs>
0: Yeah, it is literally a golden age. Like we we are very fortunate to be to have been born when we when we were. Um, but what's nice is that you are now capturing those moments, yeah. so we can go to one place and watch all of our memories. When I after I finished watching the doc, I I made a comment on the uh, the '80s doc facebook page about watching this this documentary is like reliving your memories now enhanced (laughs) that's that's what it is it's you know you've got all of these memories in one place but they're now bigger and better than you remember them (laughs) and that's that's awesome
2: well i appreciate you you know both of you guys just sharing what you felt about this movie i'm glad you you enjoyed it and you connected to it on an emotional level you know because There's, there's two levels to this film there's the intellectual side but there's an the emotional side and i think all of us really myself included i mean i made this film so i know it's in it but i watched some of this stuff and i'm like oh i missed that uh, <laughs> yeah oh
0: yeah 100 yep. percent. but it's great it's so so fun so fun
1: <laughs> well thank it. you so much thank you so much david for being with us once again uh, we're looking forward to the fifth your
2: fifth appearance and yep. <laughs> in
1: your next film, which would I guess would be the the horror your third, the yeah, in Search of Darkness three.
2: 3. Let's, uh, yep. let's 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 uh, let's rendezvous in, in around Halloween time, and I'll wear my. Uh,
1: I've shirt. already ordered it. It's ready to go, so yep. we're set. <laughs> Thank you so much, David, for joining us. We we really appreciate having you here.
2: Always a pleasure with you guys. Thank you.
1: That that was amazing.
2: It's so cool.
0: It's just getting the I mean the documentary itself gave us backstory and all these and then to hear from David talking about the making of the dock and what what this means to him and what this means to you know just fans in general it's just it was it's so
1: cool to relive these moments it was that was awesome we didn't really get into the scope of how big this dock is and how much it encompasses of like our memories as kids but it's it is totally worth owning and totally worth having and I'm not Just saying that, like, it's, I, again, like he said, like I could rewatch this doc again, no problem. And, you know, watch maybe 81, 80 and 81, and then come back and watch 82 to 83. Like it's, it's, it's put together in such a way that it's like, it's just so interesting. It's so so good.
0: And so, like you said, there is so much, and I, I, like, I've literally never watched anything for five hours at a time. And I (laughs) literally watched this thing. I kept texting loop. I'm like, I'm going to stop now. No, I'm going to keep going. Five solid hours, five solid hours. I watched last time thing. you did I, I, that.
1: Was you're watching your neighbors through the bushes exactly? Other than that, a, that like it was... that wasn't nearly as
0: fun, <laughs> 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 but this seriously, it's I mean, if if you have any interest in 80s movies at all, even if it's not sci fi, the no. nostalgia is so good in this, you, you will absolutely like love just going back and
1: and revisiting all of these things. Highly recommended. Again, 80 sci-fi doc.com and get yourself a copy. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, make sure you follow us on our socials, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. I don't think I've ever said that before, but I guess oh, I keep forgetting. We're on YouTube. <laughs> <YouTube's> <laughs> almost our, it's kind of our primary thing pretty much now, but watch us yes. on our YouTube channel subscribe. And I want to thank everyone who has subscribed since our last show that we have got a bunch of new subscribers. So thank you. Tell your friends, get on board and uh, thank you so much. Again, I've got all the socials up right now and, uh, Follow us on everything, because there's so many things we're follow on, us on. We're on everything. We are on everything. <laughs> if there's a thing, <laughs> we're on it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If it's there, we're, we're, we're part of it. Thank you yeah. so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Loop and Larry, Guardians of Geek. Bye-bye.
0: Produced by Matthew C. Loop and Lawrence Simner. A Loop and Larry
1: production. Bueller. He
2: likes it. Hey, it. Bueller. Bad news. Fog is getting thicker. And Leon's getting larger. Inconceivable. Brian's right. It's an elf. Wax
1: on. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Oh, Captain,
0: my Captain. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Wax off.